seven strangers, does that not make you a serial killer? I didn't kill them every day, did I? Did I go out there every day and say, hmm, I'm going to kill them? If I did, there well, would be hundreds. Well, no, it took you 12 months. Then he rings up Rex again, and that's when I looked at him and I started laughing. If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Because, you know, first of all, women generally don't commit crimes this heinous. Right. Uh, you know, this is usually the domain of men. That's unfortunate. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Danny. How are you doing? Pretty good. Enjoying my morning slash mid-morning tea as <laughs> I get all the caffeine I can get into my system. <laughs> does it actually help you? Um, I like to think it does. And thanks to the power of placebo, that means it does. So, yes. Well, I mean, it is a stimulant. I just feel like it does nothing for me. I've had three shots of espresso and the Celsius and still... <laughs> You know, the lethal dosage for caffeine is surprisingly low. Oh, shit. So you should, you should watch that. I drink so much caffeine. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I should just like cut it out completely. Um, well, Cold hey, turkey. hey, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> the thing is like nothing happens when I don't drink any coffee or caffeine versus I do. Okay, then, then yes, There's cut no it out. There's no headaches, no nothing. No headaches. Well, I, I get really, really bad headaches. What? Yeah. You barely have caffeine, though. You have tea. Oh, yeah. No, more so in college when, okay. I, when I would take caffeine pills to, you know, get my undergrad degree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the weekends or whenever I wasn't feeling like I needed to cram, I'd get these really bad headaches. Oh, snaps. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm a tea person. Mm. I got to keep it mild here. I love coffee. Like, I love the taste more than... Oh, well, then decaf. I mean, that, that's okay, a nice thing. I switched to decaf yeah. once and I stopped drinking caffeine or coffee. Yeah. So it was like caffeine and addiction. Is it yeah. addiction? Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I don't love coffee. Maybe I love caffeine. <laughs> huh. Yeah, caffeine can be addictive for sure. Okay. Interesting. Well. But but your your caffeine addiction aside, <laughs> how are you doing? Good. I'm good. We just got back from the snow. Yeah. Um, it was cold. It was fun. The dogs loved it, and my skin is very dry. <laughs> yeah, the snow would do that. Would do that. Yep. <laughs> I saw some of the photos. It was very cute to see the dogs playing in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. Walter's obsessed. He like we had a little Airbnb with a little porch thing outside. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to be out there all day, like or all night really. We were gone during the day and. It was good. Anarchy's old, so it was hard on him, um, but he had fun too. Oh, update! What's the update on your uh, on your attic mice and or person living there situation? Okay, so not a person. I we've it's been a while since we've recorded. It's been yeah. like almost twenty days, probably, and maybe I don't know. It's yeah. hard to keep track. Yeah. So. <laughs> I have not heard anything since then. So like the day we recorded last time, I went home and Kobe wasn't working. And I went into the attic with him. Well, not with him. He was underneath. He can't go into the attic because he cracks the roof. So (laughs) I went in and I crawled around and I found the opening they're getting in. And it's through a vent in the roof. It's like a straight up open hole. And... Um, I sprayed peppermint oil everywhere, and then we need to go buy shingles and cover that somehow. We don't know how to do it. Um, but after I sprayed peppermint, like, we thought that was okay for then, and we haven't heard them since until last night. Um, mm. They're back. So, Kobe's calling an exterminator tomorrow because he has the day off, and 
Maybe the exterminator will know how to cover that hole. <laughs> Maybe we should call a roofer. I don't know. You might need a roofer. Yeah. I mean, I'm no exterminator, but I don't know if they specialize in like helping you cover up I know. gaping holes. But maybe they'll also like be able to see if there's any other openings and then also yeah. be able to tell us why our 20 rat traps aren't doing anything. Yeah. I mean, they could just be really smart rats. That is true. We had one in our kitchen when we first moved in. I don't know if we talked about it or not. It literally walked through the door inside and then just booked it <laughs> and we couldn't get it out. And it was in the house for like a week until anarchy literally chased it out. But we tried everything. We could not get it out. Yeah. They're pretty clever. Yeah. They're smart. Yeah. Like scary smart. Yep. And they can fit into things that are like the size of a quarter. Yep. So it's crazy. I'm just like, why are you guys not dead? Like, how are you not extinct? <laughs> I don't. People just kill you like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but they reproduce like crazy. Yeah. Oh. Anywho, they've probably had babies in our attic. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. But, yeah. um, if you found a bunch of rat babies, could you go through with killing them? No. I would probably scoop them into a box and then try to find some place to take them in. <laughs> <laughs> like some, like, I don't know, reservation or something. <laughs> this is probably why they still exist, people like me. <laughs> Because if you give them, if you give them to the humane society, I think they, they'll just kill them. They'll just be like, "Oh, you cool? You found pests?" Okay, but I would feel better about it. I'd be like, "I gave it to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I have displaced the responsibility." Yeah, I didn't kill them. I yeah. tried to help them. There we go. <laughs> Anyways, how are you? Yeah, good. Wait, did I? No, I did not answer this. We talked about caffeine addictions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, no real complaints. Still working away, planning my move overseas, which is coming up. Pretty excited about it. Other than that. Wait, do you actually have like dates or anything? Yeah. Tentative dates. So because okay. we have a couple of other, other things we're flying to um, next month. Yes. But beyond that, it's sort of a little, bit, little fluid situation because we're getting a smaller place like a room in a house mostly to uh to like Gabe a... does not keep me updated on any of this yeah. guys i have well, no idea what's happening that's why we have this podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay but, but... so you're moving <laughs> yes so okay. we're, we're gonna be keeping our stuff in my girlfriend's old place oh shut her, up her roommates were like oh yeah like it'd be great because you guys would like not be here that often and you can just like keep all your stuff here including the car so it seems like a pretty good situation. That's awesome. And they just got a new roommate. Is that roommate leaving? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's just put it this way. This roommate passed like the background checks they put into place and an interview they had with this person. Uh -huh. But it got to the point where the police may have been involved. Like this, <laughs> this person, very, very odd once in the house okay good to know uh just as a i'll give you one quick tidbit of, of story they uh found they didn't have a mattress so they went out to a nearby dumpster and dragged in a large queen-sized dirty mattress into the house and like left crap like all over the floor and and you bed bugs are a thing yep but this was just one of the things. Oh. And it's all it was all pretty crazy because like again, they like 
passed the financial background check. They passed like the on the interview. Like everyone seemed to be getting along great. I'm gonna ask you more questions after this. I, yeah. I want to hear more. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, that's wild. So but yeah, but well, really, that's good for you. Yes. Oh yeah. No, this is pretty good timing for us. Mm-hmm. So all is well that ends well. Oh, all right. Um, today might be a two-part episode. I don't know. It's like a ton of notes, but I cannot figure out a good spot to like do a two-parter. Yeah. I read a book. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> this happens every time. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think it's better to to have like as much of the full story than to give them the, the sound bites. I guess. So the story I read, the book I read is called Witch, the true story of Las Vegas's most notorious female killer by Glenn Puitt. And it was really good. Um, I read it in a day. Oh, damn. Like I sat and I just read <laughs> the whole day. And it was it wasn't written like some autobiographies or biographies of people. It was like more written like an actual story, a novel. Oh, okay, cool. So it was good. I liked it a lot. He went into a lot of detail. He um, actually interviewed the woman. Her name is Brookie Lee West. He interviewed her. He was actually a, uh, what what's the word? The right stuff for like newspaper newspapers and journalist yeah he's that and he was actually assigned to cover this case and he got like really interested in it and he ended up like interviewing brookie and he interviewed like the detectives and medical examiners and all that stuff because he was just so into the case and he wrote this really good book i recommend it it's on amazon (laughs) 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 so he um, his name, the Arthur Glenn, he changed some names to protect identities in the book. So FYI. And uh, the five main characters that you have to know. Well, actually, there's three. You know these three characters. You're golden. But there's okay. five like main characters. We just only talk mostly about three. The first, Brookie Lee West. Main character. Okay? The witch. <laughs> <laughs> and then her mom is Christine. Christine Smith, and then her brother is Travis, okay? Also, my brother is Travis, (laughs) so. (laughs) Okay, her dad and her stepmom are less important. Her dad is named Leroy. Leroy? Leroy. And then her stepmom is named Chloe. Okay. So, um, I will clarify who they are because some of them will come in like later and i'm bad with names yep names are confusing so the book is gonna start off i like how it starts off it makes it easier to put together so it starts off with how everything gets set in motion the end is where we're starting gabe okay is that confusing yeah i confused you once before so i thought i'd elaborate only because it it didn't (laughs) fall like we've done like two dozen or so episodes never starting that way and then all of a sudden, it was like, boom, <laughs> cops are there. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> all right. Well, so one day in 2001, um, the police get a phone call by a man who is a general manager of a storage container business. And 
He says they've been getting a lot of complaints about a bad smell coming from a storage container. And this is his story. Do do do. I don't know the CSI. And what, Careful, we're going to get sued. <laughs> well, I don't even know it well enough. So he reports that he and a coworker uh, managed to track down the smell that people were complaining about to container number 317. And this rental unit is rented by a woman named Brookie Lee West. And despite multiple phone calls, they couldn't reach her and they didn't know what to do. So they ended up, him and another employee ended up cutting open the lock and opening the container. And he said the smell just like assaulted them when they opened it. And they looked around the container, but didn't go in, just like looked and the container was just like lined with shoe boxes and there is also a green plastic trash can that was just like in a corner leaking some fluid and they're like well <laughs> we should call the police and they do and the police come and before even entering the storage unit the police are like that is the smell of a dead body and um, they call this one crime scene analyst. Well, they call a bunch, but this one's really cool. Her name is Robbie Don, And this isn't super integral to the story, but I'm going to tell you anyways. So she had spent 18 years as a manicurist. And then at the age of 40, she decided she wanted a change. And she enrolled at the criminal justice program at the University of Nevada. And now she catches killers using DNA. What? Yeah. That is a very different career. Like, like huge change, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she works this whole case and it's awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of what she does is finding fingerprints. Oh. Because mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a hand expert. Her partner is. <laughs> <laughs> and she works with him. Anyways, so... The police try to contact Brookie for permission to enter the container because, like, it's open, they can look inside, but they can't go in, you know? Mm -hmm. But the number sh she gave was, like, a false number, which is why nobody's been able to reach her. And then the address listed was a P.O. box, not her house. And then she also always paid the rent in cash and paid in advance. So, sketch. But I gotta say, so far, minus the very obvious rotting corpse in the in the unit <laughs> yeah she's doing this pretty well <laughs> um okay so then the police oh it gets better they try running her name into like the driver's license database and they get a hit however the address listed on her license doesn't exist wait can you even like how do you even do that actually it must be a fake no it can't be a fake license because it actually pulled up information yeah i think it was just like a house that wasn't hers Oh, okay. But, like, that's... Like, that requires a lot of forethought, right? Yeah, you'd have to, like, be watching this house for mail, pretty much, right? So you could... No, it no, depends. No, because, like, it's not your mailing address. It's, like, your address on your driver's license, right? But can you really set any address on a driver's license? I yeah, on my driver's license is, like, my mom's P.O. box, and I never get mailed to that. So I guess you don't have to verify this. You can, you can just put an address. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> that seems like a huge oversight. <laughs> so, 
The police get like the okay to enter the unit and do like a preliminary search, which is like eyes only, no moving things. Mm-hmm. And they go in and they're like, well, the smell is obviously coming from this 45 gallon green Rubbermaid bin. <laughs> And the left side is like buckled in and cracked, which is where the fluid is coming out. And it's also like got plastic wrap over the top and then it's duct taped and then it's got more plastic wrap. And then (laughs) so it's obviously like suspicious. It's not exactly normal storage container stuff. I mean, maybe it is. It's not what I would put it in a storage container. And so they do like a quick little test where they like swab the liquid (laughs) and it's revealed to contain blood so then they move forward and they get like an actual warrant and when the warrant's approved you will never guess what they find in the bin is it something totally innocent that also explains the bloody fluid like what some chicken she forgot (laughs) yeah or a a pig (laughs) Some steaks. Some... She put in there some ice, you know, yeah. come back and the, later and just forgot about it. The ice melted and she was like, mm-hmm. oh, I forget ice does that. <laughs> She's like, well, I don't want to open it now. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I do that with Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, no, it's a body. Oh, bummer. <laughs> a human body. Uh, a little more of a bummer. Yeah. So it appears to be an elderly woman. And she has this like white plastic bag over, just covered my mouth, sorry. She has like a white plastic bag tightly wrapped around her nose mm. and mouth. And it's gonna get a little gross in here. Not yet, I'll warn you when it's gonna get gross. So the fluid <laughs> goes like up to her shoulders. There was lots of insect larvae moving around. Um, so, now that they have a warrant, they can also start going through the shoe boxes. Do you want to make a guess what's in there? Oh, I'm not actually sure. Um, like, it's like hundreds lining the walls. Um, It couldn't be... It's not going to be... It, is it really dismembered, like, limbs or fingers or anything like that? No. They'd be leaking if it was that. It, it, That's true. They're well, not leaking. It might dry out pretty well. I don't know, but... No, not in, like, a humid Las Vegas storage unit, you know? That's true. Something you could keep that isn't leaking or smelling in a shoe in box. shoe boxes, like hundreds. Money. No. Damn. <laughs> My first thought was like lye or something to like help. Oops. Help prevent the smell. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, but then she's doing a bad job of that. Right. Uh, is it just shoes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you nailed it. Um. Jeez. So, it's hundreds of shoes. There's like new shoes that haven't been worn there's worn shoes it's crazy anyways there's also satanic books like the the satanic bible the geography of witchcraft necronomicon oh yeah yeah oh you know what that is what is it isn't that the one from hp lovecraft necronomicon that's like uh you know like the goth bible so it's also referred to as the Book of the Dead. It is a fictional grimoire. So it's fascinating by H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, okay. Well, she had that book. She also had studies in astrology, the Book of Black Magic, satanic rituals, etc. L- lots of those. Um, there was a social security card and a wallet I found for a Christine Smith, which is the name of Brookie's mom. 
And so they're like, oh, I wonder if this is the body, Brookie's mom. Oh. Right. Because it's an older woman. It would match. I don't know. Anyways, deductions right there. So (laughs) the medical examiner is a man named Dr. Gary Talgenhoff. And this is what I love about the book. He like goes into these random details that are just amazing. So by day, he's a medical examiner. But by night, he rocks out and writes music about murder and death. Not even joking. His band is named Skinner Rat. And it's amazing. Oh, Skinner Rat, like the like uh, the Skinner, the psychologist? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so the lyrics are actually really good. Um, it goes into a little bit about the lyrics. They're, like, talking about how he speaks for, like, the dead people and, like, when they can't. And it's it's good. I, yeah. I was very impressed. I was like, damn, I want to, like, contact this guy and ask him if we can play his music. Oh, Anyways. shoot, we should. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Dr. Gary has to figure out, like, so what they did is they're like, how the hell do we get this garbage bin? So surprisingly, Las Vegas doesn't have, like, a lot of homicide, like, in the suburbs, which is where this is. Mm -hmm. So they're like, how do we get this bin of fluid that's leaking to the medical examiner's office without, like, messing up, compromising anything? Yeah. So what they do is they go down to the local Home Depot and they get a big tarp and they, like, duct tape it all around. And then they bring it to Dr. Gary, and he's like, thanks, guys. Um, how am I supposed to <laughs> deal with this? <laughs> he's like, I don't usually get, like, things full of fluid. Usually he gets a dead body. Yeah. So he decides, like, we first need to drain it. And so he gets a large sifter they use in the desert, because oh. Las Vegas, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they use it for sand and stuff. So he... They punch holes in the bottom and then they like drain it into the sifter to make sure they don't like miss anything. Is this excess detail you don't need? Maybe. I thought it was really interesting though. No, it's important. Yeah. So they drain it, they keep all the fluid, they keep the body. And this is uh, where it gets a little gross. Here's a quote from the book when the body comes out of the bin because they like dump it onto a gurney. Mm -hmm. They call her Jane Doe, the body. So. Jane Doe plopped down onto the gurney, and Telgenhoff witnessed something he had never seen before. Jane Doe was almost completely skeletonized, and her corpse was morphed into a large, round, gooey, smelly, jello-like, half-oval ball. It looked like a white, waxy, smelly cheese ball, Telgenhoff said. You had to be there. So, (laughs) So they go into more detail about, like, how her body had essentially like started to form this almost like fat like substance like Crisco all around her and like Mm. in the fluid and it was just everywhere and they went into detail what that was it was gross you know it was more his last line of like you had to be there Mm -hmm. because normally it's like something you say in a positive setting like oh (laughs) you you just had to be there (laughs) he's like it was pretty smelly guys Anyways, so there's like this trash bag, like I talked about before, around her nose and mouth, and the medical examiners were like, this has to be homicide, because like, why else would there be a trash bag wrapped around her face? 
So the body was still dressed. It was um, wearing like pajamas and they were able to use her teeth, the body's teeth, to match her to Christine's, the mom's dental records and confirmed oh. it is in fact Brookie's mom. So remember how her, the uh, storage unit had her home address as a P.O. box? Yeah. So they go to that P.O. box and it's like, it's not like a USPS post office box. It's like a private little company with P.O. boxes. Kind of like uh, the local, I don't even know if FedEx or UPS has them too. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like that. Um, and since it was like a small little business, the owner actually knew Brookie. Well, didn't know her, but like recognized her from her like license picture that they had. And she tells police that Brookie lives both in Nevada and in California, and she commutes from San Jose to Las Vegas pretty regularly. And she had been in recently to check her mail, but there was more mail waiting for her. And the owner agreed to call when Brookie next came to get her mail. So the police set up surveillance for the P.O. box, but have no luck. So they, like, are doing other things while they're doing this. And they next call the local... This is pretty interesting. They next call the local power company, and they ask if, like, any of their customers have the name of Brookie Lee West. And they get a hit. So they... Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So then they go to the address, and it's this really nice apartment. And it's only about two miles away from where the storage unit was. Sketchy. Pretty close. So they go, they get a search warrant for the apartment. It's a very nice apartment, and they find bank statements of a Christine Smith. The mom, right? Christine Smith? Yep, the dead body. <clears throat> yep. And so, the mom. <laughs> and the mom. <laughs> <laughs> there were withdrawals from Christine's bank accounts as well as social security checks uh, being deposited within weeks ago when her body had been dead they thought at least a few months but probably years really mm-hmm. it was in that barrel for years a few months to years is what they thought still i mean that... yeah they're thinking years that is a wow mm-hmm. you said it was covered in bugs though though right mm-hmm. i would have thought they'd be able to consume more of the body maybe if there's like other predators but not just bugs and then it had formed that like waxy stuff. So like maybe they don't want to eat that. Yeah. Huh. They're just using it to like reproduce. I don't know. Okay. But yeah. Um let's see where am I? So they found that. Um they also find a key that fits the lock that was on the storage container. That'll come in handy later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while talking to Brookie's neighbors they find out that she was into doing psychic readings for people and she worked as a technical writer and made really good money doing it that's a okay this woman is a smart woman of many talents very smart yeah except for hiding bodies well i don't know if it's been there a few years that's true but also like it's your mom you you can't have that in your garage or in, in your storage unit you gotta ditch that Mm-hmm. Who's the first person we should look at? Maybe the owner of the storage unit. Yeah. Um, let's see. So then her neighbor also 
was like, oh yeah, she talks about her mom all the time. She hates her mom. She says her mom was a very negative, dark force that didn't, that she didn't allow in her life anymore. And they're like, all right, um, <laughs> I think we got the killer here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go into her family now and like the dynamics and start off from her childhood. Yeah. Her parents' childhood, actually. Okay. We're going in. We're going in right. deep, Gabe. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So her mom, uh, Christine, the dead body found... She uh, dropped out of school at age 13 and was in an abusive marriage by age 16. She ended up being forced into prostitution while in this marriage, and then she managed to escape and went back home. So, tough childhood. So, Brookie's father, Leroy... Well, okay. So... Leroy's father, her grandfather, actually decapitated his wife with a machete and then went to prison. And Leroy was left with his three older siblings, but they could not afford to care for him. So they put a note on his jacket explaining the situation and then just like put him on a bus. (laughs) Yeah. He ended up on a street and a woman found him and took him in. And the couple who took him in were alcoholics, and they couldn't have kids, but they were worried about how being childless would, like, look. So they pretty much took him in as, like, hey, look, we're a normal family with a kid, and, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, He had a really rough childhood, and at the age of 16, he lied about his age and said he was 18 to enlist in the army. He found a love while he was in the army. Of guns. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And he became an avid gun collector, as well as, like, a hardcore racist. You weren't white. He did not like you. (laughs) And then he was at a skating rink one day um, while he was enlisted, and he met this woman named Christine. And she had blonde hair and blue eyes, so, like, obviously good old racist Leroy was like, oh. You're Aryan. You're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) However, Christine was really worried that once Leroy was, um, like, moved, you know how people move in the army? There's a word for it. Oh, well, deployed? Sure. I don't know. Or or stationed elsewhere? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he was only there for, like, a short amount of time and then would go to a different, whatever they're called. Anyways, (laughs) so she was worried, like, once he moved on, he would leave her. So... She told him she was pregnant, and he marries her. Turns out, not pregnant. (laughs) He's not happy. He's very upset. (laughs) He's like, "Um, you lied to me. (laughs) Uh, Leroy, after they got married, he was only in the army for like another nine months or a year or something, and then he was discharged. And he becomes, you'll never guess what. A butcher. No. An alcoholic. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> but no. <laughs> um, a gun store owner? No, I'm going to tell you. Fine. Police officer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Absolute shocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so while he was working as a police officer, he got like super into drugs. <laughs> and so did Christine. And it eventually like, I guess, really wore on them. I guess like drugs kind of 
or cause addiction and like kind of get you a little bit different um and they fought all the time and it was really bad and they're actually gonna break up but then christine actually got pregnant and they're like well fuck we have to do like the good american thing and stay together for our kids <laughs> and in June of 1953, she had a baby girl named Brookie Lee West. And three years later, they had another baby named Travis. And this whole entire time, they were still raging alcoholics and drug addicts. And so Brookie was like described as a really calm child. Just, you know, you could leave her in the crib and forget she existed. Travis Which was... you shouldn't do to a kid, but okay. Right, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Travis was difficult Brookie says so he interviews Brookie a lot in this book she's really well spoken and like intelligent mm. and she says that she's pretty sure that Travis had attention deficit disorder before it was a thing he would just like run in circles on his mattress and he would just like eat drywall and like I don't know if that's an ADHD <laughs> thing <laughs> He just, like, he had trouble, like, <laughs> sitting and paying attention. Right. He was, like, all over. Mm -hmm. And um, he also had a speech impediment, so he created his own language. And hmm. Brookie said, like, she understood a lot of it, but, like, to other people, it sounded like he was mentally impaired because, like, it didn't sound like he was making any sense, but it was just his own language, you know? So... Around this time, Leroy got fired uh, from being... As a cop? Yeah. What did he do? Well, actually, okay. It says that he left his job, but it's implied that he was forced to leave because he was um, super into drugs and he would... This is really bad, Gabe. He would sit at the border and shoot at any Mexican he saw on the other side for fun. What? I'm not even kidding. So he was a shit person. And that, I'm surprised that didn't cause more serious issues. Maybe he was a really bad shot. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either way, he ends up moving his family to Bakersfield for a fresh start. Good old Bakersfield. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he did a... 180 and sorry I was doing math in my head has that the right yeah yes so he did a 180 and got a job as a carpet installer they rented a house in a low income section of the city and Leroy and Christine also got a side gig where they'd go to doctors and get prescriptions for like pain meds or like any medication they could get and then they would sell it or take it <laughs> yep yep and at this point, Brookie was around seven and her brother was four. And she was pretty much taking care of him full time while her parents were just like either out partying or in bed hungover or, you know, non-existent. Yeah. So, however, when Leroy was home, he was abusive. Shocker. And Leroy and Christine just like weren't happy together. They, like, would go out and get drunk and stuff, but, like, a lot of it was screaming, yelling, that kind of thing. And in 1961, Leroy decides to leave Christine for a cocktail waitress named Faye. So, <laughs> he takes 
his kids and he moves in with Faye and her six kids. How does he manage to take the kids? Puts them in his car and takes them. But like legally. It's not, it's not legal. They don't ever go to the police or anything. He just takes okay. them. Okay. And Christine's like, whatever. I'm already cheating on Leroy with a married man named David. And now David is promising to leave his wife. So Christine's like, whatever. I'll just move on to this new guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they always leave the wife. Sure. Um, but he doesn't leave his wife. <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> Christine's shocked too. <laughs> and she's like, can we just meet one last time at a bar just to, you know, chat and whatnot? And he's like, okay. So she goes to this bar with a sawed off shotgun and she sits. <laughs> Gabe's face. <laughs> so she sits at a table with it in her lap so he can't see it. And it's mm-hmm. like hidden by a jacket. And he shows up with his wife. Oh. Yeah. Rude. Christine just wanted to chat with him, and he shows up with his wife, like a horrible person. So, anyways, they sit down, and Christine shoots David <laughs> with his wife right next to him. I'm, I'm honestly, like, shocked she didn't shoot the wife. I'm a little surprised, too. Yeah. Was, was the shot... I mean, the shot had to be fatal up close, but where, where'd she shoot him? So... We actually said earlier, Christine, I didn't say this, Christine and David had actually discussed of ways to murder David's wife together. And I'm like, why didn't you murder the wife? Like, I'm, I'm honestly, like, kind of proud of her for not. Like, it is the guy's fault, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it and is. Anyways, so he wait, was... Wait, is David dead? So he was shot, like, on his side, and he survives, but his Whoa. arms, like paralyzed yeah and he was a mason which is like a lot of work with your arms setting stone and that kind of thing so it definitely uh messed up his life pretty bad don't cheat guys and must have been like birdshot or something to not kill him at it that was range a shot off shotgun though does that affect like its accuracy so, uh yes but when you're that close it just it just uh, allows for a bigger spray of the of the pellets but at that range Mm-hmm. More what I mean is the pellets themselves must have been small. Yeah. Because otherwise, like that should have, you know, like if it was a kind of the kind of shell meant for like a deer, mm-hmm. that would have killed him. Even even if he got hit, you know, on his yeah. outer chest. Yeah. So I mean, he he survives and. Uh, Brookie later says during an interview, my mother talked about that shooting like she was some sort of movie star. The first thing out of her mouth about it was, well, you know, I went to prison because I shot that, or because I shot that son of a bitch. He deserved it. Every pellet he got. (laughs) After the shooting, Leroy ends up leaving Faye and getting back with Christine. He's like, wow. Wait. What? Yeah. <laughs> he gets, so this woman shoots him, paralyzed. Shoot, wait, no. Okay, she shoots David, and then Leroy, who had Leroy left her, Leroy gets back the with father. Yeah. Okay, my bad. Okay, yeah. It's the name, the name thing. It, I know, I yeah. know. <laughs> but okay. So she shoots David, and yes. then the guy that she had kids with comes yes. back. Leroy comes back. Got because, it. Because you know he's like, whew, strong, independent woman. I got me. Yeah. And or he was terrified. He was like, <laughs> I don't want to get sawn off shotgun. You know, I think these are just like logical people we're talking about. Yeah. And <laughs> honestly, this is like the the X-rated real world example of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. 
Like everyone in the story is terrible. <laughs> that is so accurate. <laughs> like no no one here has any redeeming qualities. That's hilarious. They're just all terrible people yeah, yeah. doing terrible things to other also kind of terrible people. Oh man. Um so <laughs> <laughs> so Christine goes to prison. She gets sentenced for 14 years. Okay. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> and obviously after Leroy gets back with Christine, you know, he'd take his kids to prison and do family visits, but it got too complicated. Like Travis would get really difficult. He'd be like confused. Like, why isn't mom home? So eventually Leroy tells Brookie, young like seven-year-old brookie just tell your brother that your mom's dead that'll be easier <laughs> so brookie has to tell travis that their mom's dead and um a few months into imprisonment leroy's like you know what like fatherhood's not for me i'm just gonna drop y'all off at some orphanage what okay tell me this isn't like an episode of It's Always no, Sunny. No, it really is. It's <laughs> like, that is the perfect example. <laughs> it's insane. It, it gets weirder. Okay. Um, <laughs> but like, surprisingly and sadly, this orphanage ends up being an upgrade to their life. And oh, wow. they both like see an improvement and start to excel. They like get clothes to wear, food to eat. And they had a steady education. Well, before they had none of that. And Christine ends up getting released only two years into her 14-year sentence. And Why? so obviously Leroy goes and picks her up and they're like, well, let's go get our kids. And they pick them up. And they take the kids and move them to San Jose from Bakersfield. And Leroy gets another job as a carpet installer and they go back to the same routine. And so at the age of nine, Travis begins to use drugs and uh, his father, Leroy, also gets into the occult. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets weird. <laughs> Remember I said it gets weirder? Yes. Yeah, this is now. So <laughs> they had this neighbor who was like into the occult and then Leroy just kind of like gravitated towards it and got to know the neighbor really well and then... You had to like know somebody in it to get into these meetings. So through her, he got into these meetings with other witches slash satanic worshipers. <laughs> and oddly enough, he began drinking more and becoming meaner during this time. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's like you start to worship Satan and suddenly drinking's okay. I don't know. It's actually a little weird because I would have assumed joining a community even one like this would have maybe fulfilled some need he had. Yeah. So it is a little surprising he drank more. Maybe they're all kind of like that and enabled each yeah, other. Yeah, it has to be that. Ah, who knows? Um, so he began to believe that Satan was the ruler of this world. He worshipped Satan. He thought like he could get anything he wanted if he knew how to get in touch with Satan. Very interesting. Very odd stuff. And then... He hmm. kind of tried, he didn't like, the way that Brookie described it in the book, in an interview, 
And she said that her dad would never force beliefs on them. Like if he liked football, he'd be like, hey, do you want to go to, or sorry, she said soccer. If like you like soccer, he'd be like, hey, do you want to go to a soccer game? And he'd like give you the chance, but he wouldn't ever try to like force you to play soccer or that kind of thing. So like they were around it, but he never like tried to get them in it. Okay. However, Brookie totally does. She says she doesn't, but <laughs> you'll see. So then when Christine and Travis were in high school, their parents divorced for good. And it was difficult and really traumatic for the children because obviously the parents probably didn't handle it well. Um, it wasn't like great co-parenting. It was like a lot of trash talking each other and... Mm -hmm fighting about who gets the kids and that kind of thing even though they don't even like want the kids yeah didn't leroy ditch them mm -hmm. so why would he even argue there maybe because christine wants them <laughs> so he's like no <laughs> i mean like i laugh but it's probably part of it yeah <laughs> so um yeah. anyways it was really hard and travis ends up dropping out of high school and just like does drugs that becomes his life uh christine the mom handles the divorce pretty well. She got off drugs and alcohol completely, and she turned to church. She found Jesus. Oh, okay. Amen. And yeah. Was she ever into the satanic stuff? No, she was very into God and religion. Got so it. she wasn't like into it like Leroy at all. However, around this time, since she's like getting all better and stuff, she goes to a doctor and ends up it does not go into why, but she ends up like attacking him with a high-heeled boot and scratching him. And so he's like, whoa, you gotta see a psychiatrist, something's wrong. So she goes and sees a psychiatrist and it turns out she actually has a mental illness. Shocker, not really, but you know, I mean, how old is she now? 30s, probably. I don't um, actually know, know when this takes place. So, Christine, or sorry, no, um, what's Brookie? her name? Brookie's born in the 1953. Okay. And then their parents divorce when she's in high school, which is like, what, 16, 17? Yeah. So this is what, probably the be 70s? As late as 60s? the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. As late as 70, oh, as late as 81, depending yeah. on when, when in high school. So it kind of makes sense. They were like. No, 71 the period yeah the period this period was like isn't it known as like the drug yeah yeah I mean, drugs were big 70s yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah partying and stuff anyways so the, the psychiatrist diagnosed christine as a so as a sociopath with psychopathic tendencies yeah which is now out of date now mm -hmm. it's just called antisocial personality disorder and it's a tough one yeah yeah that's i don't even know if we to this day if we have any real effective interventions for that it's hard to really teach empathy yeah so but anyway so christine's like still trying to turn her life around and leroy's over here still doing occult stuff and trying to get his kids to look into it <laughs> <laughs> and at this point shockingly brookie's like recalls how she began to have premonitions and she still does to this day she's like oh yeah i knew 9-11 was gonna happen i knew uh and she names like all these big disasters and she's like i knew that was gonna happen i had a premonition about it <laughs> and um she started to take up tarot 
tarot cards tarot cards tarot there you go readings and she says she's not a psychic but she is an empath she can read other people's aura and stuff like that so this is what i mean by like she doesn't really get into like the cult but like she goes that way a little bit so then in 1971 okay so she graduates college in 71 so high school would be 60 something oh 71 wow she graduates college in 71 i think she graduated early yeah because if she was born in 53 that well, now means... i'm like was she born in 53 let me scroll up here that means she was 18 when she when she was 18 in 1971 Hold on, I'm finding when she was actually born here. Uh, yeah, 1953 is when she was born. She, I mean, as I said, she was really smart. She was taking, probably taking college classes in high school. Um, oh, wow. But as soon as she could, she graduates and then decides to join the army to get away from her family. But she quickly realizes that the military life was not for her. And she manages to get discharged and goes back to San Jose where she has to move back in with her mom. She, maybe it was graduated high school, not college. It had to Yo, be high school. it is high school, because okay. she doesn't have a college degree. Okay. She graduates high school. Yes, that okay. makes sense. That makes that total sense. So she like graduates high school, she's 18, she can't find a job, she's like, I'm gonna join the army. Yeah. Goes into it, doesn't like being told what to do. She hasn't had a life of structure, leaves the army, <laughs> okay? okay? Military. Um, is there a difference? Yeah. It's the military, if there is a difference. Yeah. So <laughs> I use them interchangeably. Sorry. The, the army is a branch of the military. Okay. Military then. Yeah. Um, so she leaves that. She returns to San Jose. She has to move back in with her mom. She ends up taking like a bunch of jobs, like a waitress. And then she like picks up odd jobs that she can. And she ends up completely just like taking over and paying for everything like all the bills the rent utilities food and also taking care of her unemployed mom so her mom like makes her go to church with her and then one night at church a man named ray asks her if she wants to go get something to eat he's like hey girl let's go and she's like okay and they end up dating they have sex for the first time not on the first date um <laughs> okay but they have sex for the first time and Brookie realizes a few months later she's pregnant. Bummer. And she's like infatuated with this guy. She's like, this is true love. We're going to get married. We're going to have a kid. We're going to like be able to leave my terrible life and that kind of thing. And then when she turns out or when she tells Ray, he's like not stoked about it. And she's heartbroken and upset. And the tale is old as time. Yeah. He ends up leaving her. So she has to tell her parents, and they're both really upset. Leroy's like, get an abortion. And Brookie's like, I can't. The church says no. And Christine's like, you know, no. <laughs> and so she gives birth in 1974 to a girl. And she, it's, it's hard for her. So she's trying to be a mother to this child as well as her own mother as well as holding multiple jobs to pay for everything and she's like I don't feel safe leaving my daughter with my mom but like she probably can't afford daycare because daycare is super expensive 
So she, when her daughter turns four, Susie, she's like, finds this boarding school in Arizona for young children, and she sends her to boarding school. And Susie, the daughter, is at this school for five years before Brookie decides to give up Susie to a teacher who had taken a fondness to her. So uh, the daughter's got to be like nine now. Yeah. However, Ray, the sperm donor, is like, no, I'm not going to sign over my parental rights. I will take in Susie. And why? Maybe he grew up and he realized, like, I can handle this now. I don't know. I'm not Ray. Who knows? So I guess I should mention Ray is not white. He's Mexican. And Brookie's father is pissed, Leroy, because how dare she, you know? Yeah. And then he's also, well, now this guy, this non-white guy is trying to, like, tell Brookie and Ray, or no, sorry, Brookie and Leroy what, like, they can, like, he's trying to, like, I don't know, tell them what they can't do, which is give up this daughter for adoption. So Leroy's just, like, pissed, you know? And during this time when Ray is fighting a custody battle with them, his mom is shot at her home. So... So Ray's mom is shot. Yeah. Yeah. So she survives, but there's no suspect whatsoever. It's just like this guy in a mask went to the door, knocked, she answered, he shot her. That's it, and left. And it's really hard on the entire family, obviously, and they have to take care of her. And a month later, Ray finds a letter in his mail written in a satanic language, threatening Ray's entire family. Who could that be? (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, that entire family, he's like, Leroy and Brookie were both like into that shit. It's obviously from them, and he goes to the police, but there's like no proving it was them. And he's like, okay. I give up. Do whatever you want. Here's the parental rights. And he abandons, like, any attempt to get his daughter back. And at this time, Brookie was still living with her mom. And her mom was getting lonely and (laughs) hitting on men all the time. How old's the mom at this point? Let's see. So the mom... So this is 1974 plus 5, 79. So so like 80. Uh, No, sorry, like 1980. Yeah. And so I know in 98, um, Christine was 68. Oh. If that helps. She was young when she had her. So 50. She's 50 in, in, in 1980 then. Because if, if in 98, she's 68, just take out 18. There you go. Okay. Is that accurate? I don't know. Well, it's close as we're going to get. Okay. So, okay, it's 1980 <laughs> and Christine is 50 years old. Okay. So, um, Christine's lonely and she's like hitting on men all the time. And she's not, <laughs> I don't know the word. She's like not fully in reality. She like makes these interactions that she has with people into something they're not. Okay. So I will go into detail here. She had a chiropractor named David. And she's convinced that David is in love with her. Even though David did absolutely nothing to lead Christine on. 
I mean, he keeps putting his hands on her. <laughs> Almost <laughs> like it's his job now. <laughs> so, she, so Christine makes David a pornographic audio cassette tape of herself masturbating. Is that like the original 90s mixtapes? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like um, sexting today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's a cassette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so awkward. It gave like um, transcripts of it. <laughs> they have transcripts of the cassette? Why? Oh my God, I don't know. What relevance could that have to any murder or crime? It was so weird. And it wasn't just that. It was also like, she would make these regular recordings of herself as if she was like talking to the doctor and like she would tell him like about her day and like he obviously when she would visit him she would ask him questions and get like tidbits about his life and she'd bring those up in these recordings and she'd be like yes i just remember how you're saying you're gonna be out of town next week i hope you have fun at the lake and catch fish and i miss you so much i can't wait for you to get back and I know you miss me too, and when you get back, we're gonna have such a good time, and like all this weird stuff. Okay. And like, she would at some points like act as if he was there and they're having sex together. It was weird. Like, so she's like not in reality necessarily. Yeah. So it turns out that the doctor is already with another woman who he's been with for many years and christine finds out and she's pissed and she's like you are cheating on me <laughs> and so she tells brookie like i'm gonna shoot him like i shot the last guy and brookie's like okay <laughs> no and so brookie has to like make sure to never keep a gun in the house and she would tell like try to like tell christine the doctor didn't lead her on and like bring her back and all this stuff mm -hmm. into reality and so like it was like brookie's taking care of christine and um while this was happening leroy the father dated and married a woman named chloe smith and he kind of stops drinking and gives up alcohol or drugs like he like falls off is that the correct term falls off the wagon no that's when you like you break your sobriety he does oh he does okay he does so he does got it, got it. fall off the wagon like f not frequently but you know yeah regularly yeah Wait, um, is it the cocktail waitress she actually was she's not the one that he moved in with with six kids but she actually was a bartender okay yeah so this is um, years after that cocktail waitress. Got it. Different woman. And then, um, so Travis is, when Travis is in his late 20s, early 30s, he ends up living on the streets. He's addicted to drugs. Leroy tried to help him many times, like asked him if he wanted to live with him, offered to like pay for an apartment, all this stuff. Sometimes Strauss would take him up on it. A lot of times he didn't. Um, he actually at one point was like, just leave me alone. I like being on the street. I like relate to these people and I can talk to them. Mm -hmm. And Lyra is like, there's nothing he could do. Um, so he had a long, Travis had a long history or a long arrest record and he ends up being diagnosed um, as being schizophrenic 
and I don't know if this is like politically correct anymore, but criminally insane. I'm not sure, but if that was the legal term back then, then so be it. Yeah, that's what the book used. Um, he ended up in the Atascadero State Hospital for the criminally insane. So he was released and then went back on the streets and it's unknown what happened to him. He just disappears. This becomes very important later. Like, very important. So, um, Brookie is just, like, living her life, working a lot of jobs, trying to keep her mom from killing people, and she sees an ad in the paper for a vocalist needed in a country western band. And she's 24 right now. That explains her name. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. And she's, like, looking for extra money, and she's... So she sees the ad, and she's like, oh, it's extra money, but I really hate country music. But you know what? I'm going to apply anyways. So she goes and meets the man who plays the ad, who is a David, and um, he's a 58-year-old country music promoter. He and Brookie get married within a few months of meeting. So he's double her age, more than double. She's 24, he's 58. So sketch um (laughs) brooke uh, brookie says that he was a good guy who never hit her but he had drinking and drug issues i I love how that's the standard like he never hit me good guy top-notch guy yeah boom (laughs) 10 out of 10 recommend yeah (laughs) um but within three months of their marriage they got divorced and brookie moved on she later says that this decision was due to her mental illness being untreated. She says she has bipolar manic depressive disorder and without medication, she has trouble resisting impulsive decisions. So she, sorry. she's like really smart and like knowledgeable, right? Like, oh, I assumed she was lying, but oh, no, is that accurate? I think it's accurate. Okay, that's a very quick marriage, yeah, three months. So, so maybe she's going through like a manic phase, yeah, manic and- phase. And- Mm-hmm. Um, after her divorce, she takes a job as a security guard at a computer company. And then she's promoted from security to secretary very quickly. And then while there, she meets a Gerald Herbert West, hence her last name. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is insane. So as secretary, she was like dropping off some papers to him or something or phone call. I don't know. But he sees her, and he's 21 years her senior. She's 28, and he's 21 years older, so what, 39? 49. 49. There you go. <laughs> Wait, and she's 28? She's 28. Yeah, and he, yeah 49. 49. Okay. Um, and he sees her for the first time, and he's like, go out to drinks with me tonight. And she's like, okay. And during their first date, he's like, I love you. And she's like great and he's like let's get married and she's like great (laughs) i think he was playing chicken i think he was doing the ted mosby um well they got married within five months of meeting they got engaged (laughs) on their first date he couldn't back out (laughs) and um christine brookie's mom did not approve of the age difference or the you know quick turnaround and i I think she's just jealous because this guy's closer to her age (laughs) (laughs) comes into play okay so uh where was i 
So she didn't approve, the mom didn't approve, and Gerald had a lot of trouble with how reliant Christine was on Brookie. Yeah. It was like Christine was like a third wheel. Everywhere Brookie went, Christine wanted to go, and they lived together, and Christine was pretty uh, mean to Gerald. And anyways, one day while Christine, Brookie, and Gerald were all out at dinner, the waitress mistakes Brookie's mom for Gerald's wife. Does that make sense? Of course. So because he's, they're much closer in age. Yep, and it does not go over well. So Christine goes off, and then Brookie goes off, and then Gerald goes off, and then within months, the marriage ends. Wait, because of that? I think that was just like one tipping point, and it was just like wasn't working out, and like Brookie wouldn't give up Christine, and... I see. Yeah. So then Brookie began to study computers on her own time and like just gravitated toward like coding and like all the shit like right before that. It blew up? Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. And then so by the early 1990s, she was making 65 to to $100 per hour. Whoa. Yeah. Like that that was in 1990. Yeah, that's... That's a like a lot now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, so like her life just, she buys a Jaguar, fancy clothing, clothing. Um, she buys a house in Los Banos and that means bathroom. It means bathroom. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what? Is it a is place? a place. I've driven through it. But okay. <laughs> anyways, um, she actually low key is a little bit of a shopaholic, hence all the shoes. It happens. Yeah. Some people grew up in poverty, yeah. Oh, I know. No, there's been studies done where, like, if you grew up in poverty, like, you're so used to not having that, like, security that it's, like, you just keep spending. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, so Christine's still living with Brookie, and it was rough. Brookie's, like, supporting her 100% financially, and a lot of times she's making sure her mom's not doing anything too cray-cray, like murdering random men. Um, and in the late 1993, Brookie and her mom become interested in the Native American culture, which is interesting because, like, Brookie being raised by a very racist man who's, like, very anti-anything, and they, I don't, they're not logical. You can't, like, figure them out. But they decide to attend the Alcohols Anonymous at the Native American Indian Center. And most, he, like, went and interviewed these attendees of the meetings. And they're all, like, it seemed as if Brookie was there purely to pick up men. She was dressed extremely scandalously and looked around and would, like, make eye contact with the men and, like, flirt with them and... A lot of the people just got like a really bad vibe from them and like just stayed away and um but while there she met a guy named howard in 1994 and he was homeless overweight an alcoholic and she's like you <laughs> um, doesn't hit me 10 out of 10 guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously i sh- I don't know. Anyways, so literally all of Howard's friends are like, we get the creeps from Brookie. 
stay away from her. And he's like, nah, dog, she cool. <laughs> and he actually, he seemed like a good guy. I feel really bad about what happens. Um, so he moves in with Brookie and Christine and it doesn't go well. Christine and Howard do not get along. So eventually Brookie buys Christine a van and puts all of her belongings in it and takes Christine in it and parks it in a parking lot in Santa Clara and just leaves. <laughs> She's like, here you go, Christine. That's like the uh, props to you. The thing about like going out into the woods and leaving your dog and just like, there you go. Oh, off you go into the woods. Yeah, it's rough. Um, so then one night while Howard and Brookie were out watching a movie. I think at this point they're married. Um, so yeah, they're married at this point. So then one night while Howard and Brookie were out watching a movie, they had parked the Jag and then they leave the movie theater to go home and their car's gone. And they're like, what the heck? So they call the police and the police find the car a few blocks away on fire. And oh, mm -hmm. so Bricky calls the insurance company and they look into it and they're like, this is suspicious because nothing was taken from the car. The stereo, the tires, everything was intact. And if somebody's going to steal a Jag, it's going to be to steal it, you know? Um, so this insurance company is looking into it. And then in May of 1994, police um, receive a call saying that a man had been shot in the neck and Brookie shot Howard in the neck and she says that Howard was coming at her and she had a gun in her purse and she grabbed it in self-defense and held it up and just shot. So this gunshot, cray cray. In 99 out of 100 cases, the doctor's like, it would have killed the person. Like it should have killed Howard, but he survived and the gun what is it called? The thing that shoots you, the bullet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bullet went through his neck, missed all the major arteries, and then somehow it like traveled down into his shoulder. And they're like, we can't get it out. You're stuck with it. Like, <laughs> it won't hurt you, but you have a yeah. bullet in you. <laughs> you know, that happens more often than not. That's terrifying. Like the thing in the movies where the patient's like coding until they take the bullet out mm -hmm. and like put it in a little bin not accurate no like uh, if the bullet isn't like causing any issues itself just leave it there's would plenty it of rust people. like uh, it metal? not necessarily i think uh, the type of metal is used maybe like that's what i need is a little bit of iron just leaching itself into me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um okay anyways so um a few um, this this is like a few months after the jaguar catches fire and burns up the insurance company has been looking into it this whole time questioning everybody so literally the day after he shot from his hospital bed howard calls the insurance company and he says that he burned the jaguar up for brookie um and when the insurance investigated investigation started like questioning things she shot him to try and frame him well it's not really frame him if he actually did it right he did it but he did it because of her yeah yeah but um, I'm just, it just seems like you know, you're not being framed. You mm -hmm. actually did do it. She just shot you to tie up a loose end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after all this, though, Howard and her get back together. And then Howard also, like, gets a Corvette. What? <laughs> yeah, she buys him a Corvette. <laughs> 
weird. <laughs> and yeah. after they get back together, Howard, so this whole time, Howard's like a really hardcore alcoholic. It said like what he was drinking. I can't remember. It was a lot. It was like four pints. What is a pint? Might, might be much. Okay. A day. Yeah. So he was like very um, into alcoholism. Is, he was that's a just weird a craft beer enthusiast. Okay. <laughs> he also drank um, a lot of beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So he ends up with his Corvette. They get back together. And then he recants his insurance story and stops talking to the private insurance investigator. He says that he... Just kidding. I just did that to get back at Brookie for shooting me. He's like, she was coming at... she shoot him after the Corvette was on fire? Jaguar. The Jaguar? Um, so, yeah. So, the Jaguar's on fire. A few months later, she shoots him. Yeah. And... But he's saying he burned the car to get back at her? Oh, no. Shoot? He's saying he called the insurance company to get back at her. Oh, okay. He's like, I lied. I said that she's trying to frame me to get back at her for shooting me. Okay. But she only shot me in self-defense, and I made a mistake. Okay. So... Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it doesn't because what are they doing? But yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then less than a few weeks later, Howard is found shot dead in the Sequoia National Forest. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, the, Howard. I mean, he went back. Howard, why would you go back to her? That's what all his friends said. It was really sad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so... The day after his body's found, the police go to Brookie's house because they're like, this woman shot him 13 days earlier. (laughs) And Christine, the mom, answers the door, the mom who had been living in a van. Hmm. And she tells the police, I'm like trying to figure out how to make this even make sense. Okay. So they're saying that Howard and Brookie got back together. And then after that, things were just rough and Brookie began to fear her life so she had left and went to a hotel didn't tell Howard where she was and she was hiding out in this hotel and then she had been going to work and then the night that Howard was shot her alibi is that she was at a was at work um so there's like so much more to it. I'm like, should I add it? Should I not? I think it's fine. Okay, so. Um, oh, and also she had filed for divorce at this time while she was in this motel. So on the night that he was murdered, she was at work. But on that night, okay, I'm so bad at this. I'm like, why do I tell the stories? I don't know. So <laughs> the night he was murdered, Howard calls Brookie. And he's like, I found a bunch of cash that you hid in the house, and I'm going to go to Reno with my boys and spend it. And she's like, don't you dare. And he's like, bye-bye, and hangs up on her. And then the next day, Christine and Brookie return to the house because they're like, Howard must have left to Reno, so it's safe for us to return. That's why Christine is back. So Christine's like, I was at work when he was killed. Check my alibi whatever so police are able to succeed christine use her key card to get into the building 
for work that night. It was night. And unfortunately, you don't need a key card to get out. You can just walk out. So they see she entered the building, but don't know when she left. Any cameras? Mm-mm. So her alibi could not be confirmed, but it also couldn't be... Disproven? Yeah. <laughs> Nine years are spent investigating this case. Howard also... Howard is found with a plastic bag over his mouth and nose. Odd, right? Wait, he was shot, though. He was shot, but there's still a plastic bag. Okay. Yeah. Just, like, similarities here. Coincidence is our thing. Right. So, um... Yeah, nine years this single detective has spent investigating this case, and it is still unsolved today. Even though... Brookie did it. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) No, Um, no, it remains as much of a mystery as the Gabby Petito case, okay? (laughs) That's been solved. Both equally. (laughs) Oh my god. I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Wink, wink. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, in 1996, Leroy, Brookie's dad, is diagnosed with brain cancer, and Leroy is married to Chloe. Do you remember Chloe Smith, who was the bartender, but not the wait, not the yep. cocktail waitress? The She's stepmom. Like, yep. So, Chloe notices while Leroy's going through, it's it's inoperable. He's gonna die. So while he's like in hospice and whatnot, um, Chloe notices that Brookie starts hanging around Leroy more and more, in that like his assets start going into her name, not Chloe's, and. So one day, Chloe and Brookie are looking for some, like, titles to cars. The little sheet thing. I I don't even know where mine is. Is that important? If you want to sell it. Oh, well, shit. Even then, there's probably ways around it. Okay. Well, they're (laughs) looking for some, and Brookie's like, oh, I'm pretty sure they're... Leroy's in the room with them, by the way. And Brookie's like, I'm pretty sure the titles are underneath the bed in a box. So Chloe goes underneath this bed to look and she hears something like electricity staticky behind her and she says that Brookie has a stun gun like a really big stun gun and is going towards her with the stun gun and misses and hits the sheets of the bed because she's going under the bed to find a box so Chloe jumps up and runs out of the apartment and manages to get away and to this day she's convinced that Brookie was trying to murder her and take control of the assets completely as well as the insurance money that Leroy would get if Chloe died before him so Chloe dies Leroy inherits a quarter of a million dollars Leroy dies Brookie gets everything okay yeah that's a tough one though because She's she's shown... Okay, I mean, we don't know for sure if she killed Howard. She killed Howard. But she's shown, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least a uh, uh, to have used violence before. Mm-hmm. I mean, she shot Howard once before in self-defense. In right. Quotes. So why would she try to tase her stepmom and then kill her? I don't know. Like, at that point, just shoot her? I don't know. Seems like a really weird because it's not like in the movies where you can you tase someone and they're knocked unconscious for a little while so you can move move them around. Like you would taser 
And then when you stopped tasing her, she would more or less, depending on her health. It was like a cow taser thing. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Does that make a difference? Like, like a yeah, like, like a meant for prod. I see. I would still like. I mean, honestly, she doesn't really. She like is smart and thinks things out, but also isn't. <laughs> like she's very impulsive. That's a uh, common trait among sociopaths. Yeah. Actually, that's like one of the criteria I think. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think she was fully like. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> had a plan, and Chloe yeah. says the same thing. She's like, I don't think she fully had a plan. I think she was just like, "This is my chance," yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Um. Anyways, <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah. But and Chloe like fears her life. But um, then Leroy dies two months later, and Chloe's like, doesn't matter now. She's not going to try to kill me because Leroy's dead, and she wouldn't get anything. So then in a year later, in 1997, Brookie drops her mom off at some low-income apartment buildings. And her mom's like, actually does really well and begins to make a lot of friends. And eventually Brookie moves in with her for a bit to help out while she's in Las Vegas but then she works in San Jose so she's commuting between the two and one day Christine's friends notice that Christine is in bed and she's doing really bad while Brookie's there and Brookie so Christine had gotten a dog and Brookie's pissed about it she's like why'd you get this freaking little chihuahua they're gross and disgusting and like I'm sick of taking care of you and so the neighbors notice them arguing a lot and then suddenly Christine's sick in bed and then two days later she's just gone and Brookie says that Christine moved in with Travis the brother who disappeared decades ago. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if it's been decades, but at least a couple years, right? Yeah. So um, one of the friends says that she actually drove to the police station to report this whole situation, but she was told to come back later when an officer would be available to take her statement. And then she's like, nobody will even believe me. Because like, what? I like We were there, there was a friend there, and then she went to live with her son. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So she started questioning herself and just never went back. And for 27 months, Christine's body sat in the garbage bin until it was discovered in 2001. <laughs> no, Christine went with her son, Travis, in Gun Barrel City, Texas. <laughs> well, okay. So now we're back to present day. Police gave their cards to all of Brookie's neighbors and asked them to call if she showed up. And one night she did. And a neighbor calls, and when she saw the detective's card on her door, she fled. So it was like pure luck that the responding detective noticed her car at a convenience store a couple oh. miles away. Like he just like pure luck he went that way. So he calls up backup, and they manage to arrest her. And when she gets interviews interviewed, she's immediately like, I did not kill my mom. She died of natural causes, but I did put the body in the container. I panicked. So the detective's like, oh my gosh, girl, that's nonsense. And he goes to the coroner, you know, that, that awesome guy with the band. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm so sorry, but 
There's no way I can prove that it was homicide. The body is too badly decomposed, and if I was questioned in court, I couldn't, like, prove how she died. So the detect this this goes viral. I say that all the time. The media goes crazy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what a crazy witch lady with a bin in a storage container, you know. As witches are known to have. <laughs> but... <laughs> like, it's just like a weird case. Yeah. So the detective who was on Howard's murder sees it on the news and he gets into contact with a new detective who's on this current case. And so he's like, I got some stories for you. And he gives him the, all the previous details of Brookie's life and Howard. Um, oh, okay. So like everything that happened and yeah. this detective had done a ton of work on her background and stuff. So then the police are like, okay, our best bet right now is to find Travis because Brookie says that the mom went to live with Travis, right? So they do everything they can and come up empty except they find out that around this the time that Travis was last seen, Brookie had written a letter to the social security company asking the agency to deposit the social security checks into an account that Brookie had access to. Did she kill her brother? Yes. What? <laughs> I mean, it's never proven, but like, come on. Like what? She she writes this letter, gets this all set up, and then like Travis is never seen again. What? Like yeah. that doesn't make and then before Christine was murdered, Brookie goes with Christine to a, a bank and helps her set up an account for her welfare checks to go into. An account that is active after Christine's murdered, and police are able to trace it and find track transactions of withdrawals from ATMs like cash that conveniently don't have cameras. Wow, see, you're right. She is smart, but like not that smart. Yeah. Like, damn. So like police are able, they're like, okay. So they compare Brookie's bank account with Christine's and some of the ATM withdrawals and deposits and stuff are made from the same ATMs at like the same time. But, like, there's no way to be, like, we have a picture that it was actually Brookie, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, but, like, it, it's got to be enough. But without being able to prove that Christine was murdered, it's like what? It's like um, not even tax fraud. It's what is it? Financial abuse? I don't know. One of those. Yeah. It's not murder. Right. And so they're like, what? can we possibly do and so the detective goes to a forensic entomologist and he's like we found some bugs can you do your bug guy thing and the guy's like i'll do my best and so the bug guy's named haskell dr haskell and he starts talking about how he started to search for something called blow fat blow flies because they're the first bugs to find a dead body they can find a dead body within like 20 seconds after death that is incredible they're like yeah he's like he's like we always find them there is a dead body there's these blowflies but there was none no blowflies and he's like this means that the body was either placed in the bin immediately after death or oh no 
She was alive when she was placed in the bin. Wow. Either of those are possible. He did find coffin flies, which are known to burrow down three to four feet in the ground and through coffins <laughs> to find dead bodies. So, like, a garbage bin is no deal to them. So that could explain the crack. Right. In the barrel. Mm-hmm. So maybe it, like, affected the integrity of it, yeah. Yeah. However, this shows the murder was premeditated because she had the bin ready. She immediately put her in the bin and duct taped it shut so the flies couldn't get in. Well, that's not fair. I keep some of those bins around here and I'm not pre-med. I, I don't really. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And then also, uh, here's a quote from Haskell, Dr. Haskell. He says, if Christine was killed, then Brooke must have already had the tools ready. The garbage can, the cellophane, the duct tape, the wrap, the plastic bag, the bags. Had the mom died of natural causes, and then Brooke goes out and gets a garbage can, you are going to find blowflies. But we never found them, so that tells me she got all the tools she needed to put her mom's body in there. But, like, how accurate is that? I mean, if you're, like, in a room like this, like the one we're in, we're in mm-hmm. how would the blowflies get to the body? I don't know, but he does this for a living, so I trust him more than our... <laughs> That's true. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, just, I don't know. Like, <laughs> surely there's a possible or a, a, a somewhat reasonable scenario in which someone dies in a room where blowflies can't get to it. I'm trying to think. I don't know, but <laughs> it was big enough to take it to court. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so Brookie's defense is that she had picked her mom up from her brothers, took her back to Vegas. Her mom was sick. And her mom died, and she panicked. She had a garbage can full of books. She dumped the books out and put her mom in the bin and then hid it. The defense manages to get any talk about Satanism completely thrown out of the trial. Which is, I mean, fair. It does seem irrelevant to this. Yeah. Uh, There was one thing I didn't mention. Is after the mom was dead, but Brookie had taken over the apartment... There, it was like full on decked out, like Satan shit. Okay, that's uh, makes it a little more relevant to the <laughs> investigation. Yeah. So, um, okay. The jury returned a unanimous guilty verdict to first degree murder. She was given life in prison with no chance of parole, and Brookie continues to deny any wrongdoing. And says she has nothing to do with Howard's death and nothing to do with Christine's death. And she says one day Travis will resurface and she'll be released. What I'm getting from that is she put him in water because one day he will resurface. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 2004, there was actually a glimmer of hope for Brookie. A man with the name of Travis Smith went to a medical clinic in San Jose and used the same social security number as Brookie's brother. But he left before the police got there and they were unable to find him. And he has continued to never be seen since. Whoa. I don't think it was him. I think it was stolen identity. Yeah. But it was homeless. Yeah, but he probably shared his social with other people, right? If you're homeless. I don't know. Would you? I don't think. 
I mean, like... Would he even remember his own social? If he had his card, maybe? Oh, yeah, true. Okay. I don't know. Because, like, maybe, like, somebody else who's homeless is, like, illegal or something and yeah. can't get... Is worried about being deported. Yeah. You know? Damn. Trippy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. And then I left this out, but I think... Let's see. Has it been going on too long? Should I not mention it? No, just mention it. Okay. Screw it. Long episode, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so at one point, Brookie got really close to a coworker, and so she got really close to this coworker, and she would talk like shit about her mom. And this whole time, while her mom was died or dead, she would still talk about her mom as if she was alive and giving trouble to her and stuff like that. And she said she lived with Travis this whole time, and. Then one birthday, the friend invited her over to a party and she gave the friend this like obviously like used diamond ring and the friend felt really uncomfortable and was like, is this your mom's? Like, I don't want this. And after that, like the friendship was kind of shattered. And so Brookie invited her over to Las Vegas from San Jose. The friend was in Las Vegas on vacation. The friend was like, okay, I'll get lunch with you. They got to lunch, and Brookie's like, come with me to my storage container. This was after the mom was dead, and um, I want to show you something. And the friend was like, I got creepy vibes. Like, something was really off. I did not feel comfortable. And she made an excuse and left and never talked to Brookie again. And after finding out everything, she thinks that Brookie was going to try to murder her and take her identity. Oh, snap. Yeah. That would make some sense. Like if she was worried about the police catching on or something? Yeah. yeah. Or like the neighbors were giving her grief about Christine missing. Oh, Brookie. Yeah. So personally, I think she killed three people. Tried to kill two more. <laughs> the stepmom <laughs> and the friend. Yeah. It's crazy. But she insists she's innocent. She does. Yes. Because I don't know how. Maybe she thinks there's still a way out of this. Who knows? Yeah, so she's still currently in prison. She says she's on medication and doing really well and, like, stable. Um, she's, like, teaching other inmates right now. And then she's raising funds for the wild horse population in Nevada that is slowly disappearing. Well, good cause. <laughs> Very random. Yep. <laughs> All of that was... That's what she's doing. <laughs> Well, uh, okay. Yeah, awesome story. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. We should pro sorry. probably keep the discussion part a little shorter. I'm so sorry it was no, so long. No, I, I think I think people. I mean, it was really quite. The whole story was very engaging. So I think people will like it. It was crazy. I hope it makes sense. I hope people yeah, yeah. don't listen to this and they're just like, "What is going on?" <laughs> I mean, it's so. a it's a nutty story no matter what. So yeah, it's definitely a sunny episode for sure. Yeah, it's always sunny. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's a shame because you see some of why these behaviors repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brookie's mother shot a guy. And then was in, like, a prostitute at the age of 16. Right. Which clearly affected her. Yeah. So you see some of, some of these pathologies repeat themselves across generations. With yeah. Even Travis, of course, becoming... A drug addict. A, yeah, yeah. And running, running around uh, or, or getting murdered or possibly still being out there. He was murdered. <laughs> Right, yeah. Allegedly, sure. Allegedly murdered. <laughs> Innocent until proven guilty, Danny. Uh, 
even when it's very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. What? It's just a coincidence that she put him into a bank account that she has access to, and then he was never seen again. Really? Like Coinc- okay, the the possibility exists. She was exists that she was genuinely just trying to cash his social security checks. That like she didn't know where the hell he was, but she was like, okay, wherever he is, he doesn't have a mailbox. He was there with her to change the bank account. It's like the last he was time there with he was seen. Yeah. Okay, I missed that part. So it's, she... it's like he was seen with her, and then I think he was seen like once more in the streets, and then just disappeared. But I'm pretty sure she did it. Like That's a I'm more like suspicious. No, I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure she did it. Yeah, fair enough. So this will be a hard one to top next week. Yeah, I don't even know what I'm <laughs> going to do next week. So, <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll we'll end end on that note. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you all. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And some, um, give us a review. Like us. Give us five stars or don't leave a review. Yes. Five stars only. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm right. not. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.